When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Big Bad Podcast is powered by Pella Windows and Doors and by Shoot360 Lincoln. If you need a new window or a new door, take it from me. Pella is the way to go. You can check out the showrooms in Omaha and in Lincoln or online at PellaOmaha.com. And this pod is powered by Shoot360 Lincoln, the world's most advanced basketball training facility. I am the owner along with my brother. We're located at 48th and Van Dorn in Lincoln, right there in Van Dorn Plaza. Uh, We use NBA-level technology inside our facility that tracks every single shooting, passing, and ball handling rep you take from fourth-grade rookies to high-level college and pros, Shoot360 can unlock your game. I just love the shooting technology, man. The splash meter is a literal cheat code becoming a better shooter. You can get up to 300, 400 shots in just 30 minutes on our automatic rebounding machines. And then the splash meter tech is tracking every shot you take, giving you real-time feedback to perfect your jump shot. Become a member by scheduling your free one-hour workout at Shoot360.com backslash Lincoln. That's Shoot360. Dot com backslash Lincoln. Do it today. All right. It is Wednesday, January 24th. It's a little after nine o'clock. I just got all the kids to bed. I'm down in my pod room and I, I got some Creighton and Nebraska hoops to discuss. I got some thoughts on the transfer portal for both Creighton and Nebraska. Um, and then a final thought on fans storming the court in college basketball. Uh, that's all coming up. Uh, so let's get into it, man. It, it, it all right, it seems like each week brings about a ton of different storylines for both Creighton and Nebraska hoops right now as we are in the thick of conference play and and uh obviously that you're from one week everybody's riding high, the next week everybody's you know the sky is falling and and so on and so forth. But I I want to I want to talk about Creighton first. Um after getting drubbed at UConn last week, Creighton rallied to get two big wins. First one, obviously, was a huge win at Seton Hall in triple overtime. Uh, I will say this. As I watched that game and watched it unfold and, and Creighton emerges victorious, that, that game felt like if Creighton goes on to have a great season and maybe gets into the Big East title race or, and goes to the Sweet 16, gets back to the Elite Eight, whatever, it kind of feels like that Seton Hall game, that Seton Hall win, feels like it could be a turning point type of game where we're, we, you go back to that game and you're like, man, because if that game doesn't go well or you know they don't find a way to rally, it just feels like that win feels like everything changed there, potentially. Just felt like that in the moment. But if you stop and, and look around, Creighton is now six and one in their last seven games. Six and one in the last seven games, and outside of of DePaul and and Georgetown, those two road wins for for Creighton, 
the Jays have really had to grind out and really work for wins in some close games. Like, you look at the Providence game at home. It's a one-point game with four minutes left. Trey Alexander makes some big shots late, and Creighton goes on to win 69-60. St. John's game at home. St. John's led by nine with about nine minutes left in the game, and Trey Alexander, Creighton rallies, and Trey Alexander has to make two free throws with 12 seconds left to win by one point. Then we talked about that game at Seton Hall. Creighton trailed by nine points at one point in the second half. They trailed by five points in the third overtime of that game and end up winning a crazy game. Maybe the, I mean, at this point, it's the biggest game of the year. They win it 97-94. And then just 24 hours ago, as I'm taping this, Xavier was in town. I was on the call for it with my guy, Kevin Kugler. Creighton trailed 58-51 with about 11 or 12 minutes left. And Creighton had to grind out a win Late, 85-78. to So these games have been tough, hard-fought, grinded-out wins. And Creighton has been good in the close games during this stretch here, this 6-1 and in the last seven games. And, you know, close games and winning them, they come down to a lot of things. I mean, coaching matters, experience matters. But to oversimplify it, They often come down to studs, star players. Do you have a star or multiple stars who can close out a close game, a one-point game, a tie game? The game has a way of simplifying in crunch time in a close game. Oftentimes, the game slows down, and it's about players being able to just go make something happen, go make a play. I remember the year after, I always say this, one of the best coaching jobs Greg McDermott ever did was the year after Doug McDermott and Roggy and Gibbs and those guys graduated. So it was 2015. Creighton goes 14-19. and 19. So not, not a very good year record-wise, but I always contend that's one of the best coaching jobs Greg McDermott's ever done because that team was not that talented. But he had them right there at the end of games. It was They were within a point or two, a possession or two. They just didn't have the stars or the studs to close it out. But this team in 2024 has the stars. Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, and Ryan Kalkbrenner are stars. And those three guys have found ways to close out these close games lately. Trey Alexander has been clutch. And Baylor Shireman in the final 11 minutes of that Xavier game, he came alive and was outstanding. I think he hit four threes in the final 11 minutes of the game. So the ability to win close games looms so large in how you fare in conference play. And oftentimes, close games comes down to stars. And Creighton's got them. But there's been – all of a sudden you go, I mean, Creighton's 6-1 and last seven games – it maybe doesn't quite feel like that because every game there's been some moments where Creighton is big time on the ropes and they've just rallied and found a way to win. But I want to I, I talk about Stephen Ashworth real quick before I get into Nebraska and a few other things. So Stephen Ashworth, he, he still isn't shooting the ball well at all, which is just, it's perplexing. I'm going to keep on saying this. You guys probably know this by heart by now, but I'm going to keep on saying this like, 
The guy made 111 threes last year and shot 43%. That's insane. And this year, he's only made 35 threes and he's shooting 32%. After making 111 threes last year, Ashworth is on pace to just make 63 threes this year. And I, I, the math I use for that is if Creighton plays two games at the biggest tournament, let's say they make it to the, I don't know, second round Sweet 16. That's just a dramatic decrease in three-point field goals made and percentage. It just, it feels like Ashworth is due for a breakout game and then kind of settling in. He's just... He's too good of a shooter to stay this cold. You, you can you can maybe have a a a, a surge for a year where you only make thirty threes and you shot it at forty percent. But like you don't you don't have the 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 volume and the sheer amount that Ashworth has taken and making over the course of the last season or two. Prior to his arrival in Omaha, you don't you don't make 111 threes unless you're a you're a, a excellent elite three point shooter. Just too good to, of a shooter to stay cold. But that's actually not what I want to talk about with him. What I want to talk about is how much Ashworth has really made a dramatic jump defensively. Maybe the biggest jump I've seen a player make in season at Creighton. And. Greg McDermott, after the Xavier game, said six weeks ago, Stephen Ashworth couldn't do what he did today. And Coach Mack went on to say that Ashworth, has he's went from being a somewhat of a defensive liability to someone who's made it hard to take off the floor defensively. That's pretty amazing. Now, maybe he's just had a, had a, stre- a streak of, of three games where he's had the right matchups for him, where he's chasing other shooters. But in three straight games, he's done a really good job on Cam Spencer at UConn, Alamir Dawes at Seton Hall, and then Quincy Oliveri against Xavier. Ashworth has worked his ass off on defense in those games, chasing those guys off screens. He didn't give Oliveri anything from three that entire Xavier game. And he's one of the best shooters in the country, Oliveri. Just really, really impressive. I think he's starting – He's He's uh, there, there's an element of like when we think about like getting comfortable in a system, we usually think about that just being on offense. But Creighton is is very unique in their defensive system and their principles and what they do and how they defend. And like, it's not as easy. Creighton certainly is not one of those teams that just like, all right, match up, lock up. Here we go, defense on three, one, two, three, defense. No, like. They're very scatter report specific. They get very detailed in how they defend certain actions with certain players. It's unique. It's in every ball screen that you get hit with as a guard. You're not going to have a hedge. It's always going to be drop coverage with Kalkbrenner. But I think he's learned that, like, hey, I got a, I got the two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year behind me. I can, I can really lean on that. But I just think it's taken a while for him to get comfortable in the defensive system. But I think the fact that he is just, it's a mindset thing with him too. You can tell he's taking more pride into it and working harder too. And so when you add that to the fact that he's also leading the Big East in assist to turnover ratio, 
I just think Ashworth is really taking strides this season. It's easy to get hyper-focused on the three-point line and because that's his identity as a player. And listen, that's a real thing. Like, he's got to break out of this. The shooting slump. But I don't know. I mean, like my worry with Ashworth, both heading into this season and, and then during the year, you know, in November and December, my worry with Ashworth is always like, man, if he isn't making threes, what... What else does he really bring to the table out there? If he's not making threes, well, that's kind of being debunked right now. He's not making threes, but he's making a big impact. He's working his way into being a solid defensive player, and he's taking care of the ball. In Big East play, he's got 41 assists and nine turnovers. So he's not turning it over, and he's starting to really find himself on the defensive end of the floor. And I got to hand it to him. I'm sure this year has been frustrating from a three-point shooting and scoring standpoint. I mean, he went from being the man, ball in his hands the whole game, taking all the shots, averaging 16 points per game, right? To now he's, it's, it's, he's not shooting it well. He's not scoring as much. That can mess with you. But he's a mature guy. He's 24 years old. He's married. He's been through it. And he's finding a way to make an impact in other ways and fight and compete on the defensive end of the floor. So I just wanted to – we've talked a lot about Ashworth and what maybe he's not doing on this pot. Like, we got to talk – like, this guy is is really – he's taking care of the ball. He's settling in defensively. He's made some big shots in big moments. Hit the game – the dagger three against Providence at home. He obviously hits the – the game-tying layup in regulation at Seton Hall descended into overtime. He had a big three in the third overtime to keep Creighton afloat when they got down five. So he's making an impact, man. So tip of the cap to Ashworth. Let's shift to Nebraska. You know, because obviously Nebraska a week ago dropped a gut punch loss at Rutgers. And I, I wondered out loud on this pod, okay, how's Nebraska going to respond? They responded well to the first bit of adversity earlier in the season, the, the blowout loss to Creighton and then the, the second half collapse at Minnesota. They went on to, to turn around and beat Michigan State and then went on the road at Kansas State. And then Nebraska didn't respond well to success when just a few weeks ago they upset number one Purdue and they turned around and got smashed at Iowa and then lost in overtime at Rutgers. Well, here was the third bit of turbulence, the third bit of adversity. And it was going to be interesting. Okay, how's Nebraska going to handle it? Well, Nebraska has responded pretty dang well. Big win over Northwestern last weekend at home on a a big weekend for Nebraska basketball. Is you know a reunion for the former players? Danny Knee was back and being honored. And they beat a team in Northwestern that is that is going to be in the NCAA tournament and has really had Nebraska's number. They win a close game over, over the Wildcats. And then they follow that one up with a great home win over Ohio State in Pinnacle Bank Arena. And the star of that game was Rink Mast. 34 points, 6 of 8 from 3. And it's funny, so I was that game was going on as I was doing the Creighton-Xavier game on TV. And so I had to, the, 
I had to download the film and, and watch it after already knowing that Mast went off and knowing that Nebraska won. But I'll tell you, man, watching rewatch like rewatching it, I thought Nebraska was on the ropes in the first half. I feel like through the first nine, ten minutes of the game, Ohio State was good whenever they wanted offensively. They scored about 22 points right out the gates, first nine minutes of the game. They were on, poor, on, on pace to score 90. And then Rink Mass just went off. Just went off. And you got to credit Fred Hoiberg for riding the hot hand and call him some, calling some offensive sets to get him open, especially in the second half. The back-to-back threes, one from the left wing and then one from the right wing right in front of the Nebraska bench, those back-to-back threes in the second half, which really blew the game open, were both set plays from Fred Hoiberg. Great actions that's tough to guard because it's the five-man that is getting screening action for a three. And so what a performance from Mast. And Nebraska needed, needed it, man. It wasn't like it was a garbage, th- you know, like it was a the game was in hand and he just made some inconsequential threes. No, like they needed, I thought Nebraska was against the ropes for a little bit in the first half. They needed Brink Mast and he delivered. A couple of things with Nebraska. It is, it's, you know, speaking of the, you know, we're talking about the three point line. Boy, Rink Mast is flourishing from the three this year under Fred Hoiberg. I mean, Fred Hoiberg, he loves versatile forwards who can shoot and, and play make and, and handle it. Like he loved Derek Walker's passing and driving and, and really unlocked him in that regard. He, at Iowa State, George Niang, Royce White, their size and versatility. Fred Hoiberg did a great job unlocking and, and utilizing that. And he's really doing a good job this year utilizing Rink Mast's three-point shooting. You look at Mast, he made 23 threes all season. Or excuse me, he's made 23 threes this season so far. Mast made 24 all year last year at Bradley for the entire season. So he's already met basically what his three-point total was a year ago, and it's only January 24th. Pretty impressive. And with that three-point shooting, you know, it's, I mean, when Fred Hoiberg, his identity as a player was he was a shooter, and so we've been waiting for a Fred Hoiberg Nebraska team to be a good three-point shooting team. That's been one of the perplexing things is, like, you would think, like, a guy that was a shooter would, like, get a bunch of good shooters, and it's just, like, hasn't really happened. And finally, in year five, this is finally a dangerous team from three. They lead Nebraska leads the Big Ten in three-point field goals made per game, almost 10 a game. According to Ken Palm today, Nebraska ranks 39th in the country in percentage of total points being from three. So 36.5% of Nebraska's points are from the three-point line. That's 39th in the country. Nebraska ranks 28th nationally in percentage of total shots being three-pointers, 44.9, so about 45% of Nebraska's total field goal attempts are threes. That's 28th most in the country. So finally, it's like, where's these? Where's Fred Hoiberg three-point shooting? Finally, this team's dangerous from three. <clears throat> dangerous from three. And then we got to also, you know, we're, we're handing out, you know, we're shout-outs to people. We got to give a big shout-out to C.J. Wilcher. He needed to have a big bounce back year from three, and he has. He's having his best shooting season of his career after shooting 40% as a sophomore two years ago. 
He had a cold season last year from three, shooting 31%. And it, it was a big deal. But this year, he's shooting it great. He's shooting 44%, 44.7, so nearly 45% from three. He has been massively important. He's averaging nine points per game. He's had three straight double-figure games off the bench. He's got 10 double-figure games on the season. It's really important. I've said it, Nebraska's bench, they come in, you bring in Wilcher, he can score. You bring in Sam Hoiberg, he brings energy and defense and toughness. That bench is making an impact, and Wilcher's a big part of that. You know, if we stop and think about who I've kind of talked about on the pod today, we're talking about Rink Mast and Stephen Ashworth, C.J. Wilcher, Baylor Shireman, like, what do all of those guys have in common? They're all transfer portal guys. Obviously, nowadays in college basketball, you have to recruit the portal, and you have to hit on your portal guys. If you don't, you're in big trouble. People aren't as patient with you anymore because you you can remake your roster each year. And, you know, in some ways... Fred Hoiberg's hits in the portal the last two cycles might be might end up kind of saving his job here in Lincoln. Greasel, Walker, Bandamel, Juwan Gary, Rink Mass, Bryce Williams, Alec, Wilcher. Like all those guys have have come in the last season and a half and made a big, big impact. And Greg McDermott, he's done a nice job in the portal as well. It's a little bit different. He more he sprinkles guys in with Phil's needs with good portal pickups. The most recent big time addition being Baylor Shireman. But with with Rink Mast, other than finding a point guard in the offseason for Nebraska, which didn't go great, and they ended up landing Aaron Eulis from Iowa, but his NCAA gambling stuff has kept him off the floor and suspended. But other than that point guard spot. Fred Hoiberg finding a replacement in the portal for Derek Walker was vital. It was vital. Hoiberg had to go into the portal and find the right fit who could come in and make an impact right away at that five spot. And Rinkmast has done that. What a find, what a fit. Hoiberg had to get that spot right, and so far, Mast has been a hit in the portal for Hoiberg. 13 points per game, eight rebounds a game, and just lit up Ohio State for 34 points. And with Baylor Shireman, you know, sometimes because he's, it's it's weird. Sometimes because he's from Nebraska and because he fits so well, it's almost like sometimes I forget that he was a portal guy. He just seems so much like a Creighton basketball player to me that it's it's hard to imagine him being anywhere other than in Omaha, you know? But it bears repeating, what a freaking addition in the portal Baylor Shireman has been for uh, almost two seasons now for Creighton. Wow. Now, I will say that Shireman was a, was a little different than someone like, like a rink mast. Because literally, Baylor Shireman had every Blue Blood program on him when he went into the portal. Like Kentucky, Kansas, you name it, they wanted Shireman. 
He was arguably the number one portal target of that cycle. But still, it's not like that. It's not like it's a guarantee thing, right? Like he still was at South Dakota State. It's not like it always hits. Like, for example, Kansas has a kid, Nicholas Timberlake. He lit it up at Towson. He was a super hot commodity in the portal last spring. UConn wanted him. A bunch of top blue blood teams wanted him. Kansas landed him, and he's been struggling big time this year. So it doesn't always translate. But Shireman has. And I just was, you know, thinking about the portal. And, you know, the portal is hard. It's tricky. You know, in some ways it's like – I don't know. It's all you want to look at. In some ways, it's like it's easier because you're getting like a, well, I've seen this guy produce in college. And so I'm getting like an older guy that has done it in college. So like, oh, that's great. But what's hard is, you know, oftentimes you haven't recruited these players for years and years like you normally would of a high school recruit. For a normal high school recruit, you watch them play for two years with their high school with their AAU team, you talk to their AAU coach, you talk to their high school coach, you talk to the player frequently, you talk to their parents frequently. You really get to know them as a player and a person. You get a great feel for them. It's not like that sometimes with the portal. You're having to turn on film, look at at stat sheets, have other coaches vouching for them, and that can be hard. And you don't have much time either to get to know them, study them. Because these portal, these top portal targets, they come off the board quickly. For example, I think the whole Stephen Ashworth thing happened in like a matter of days. Like hit the portal, visited Creighton, committed to Creighton in like a week at most. And it's hard because if you're Ashworth, you know... There are other people that Creighton's on, and and you know you get you want to, you know you can't snooze too long, or you might not end up at Creighton. And if you're Creighton, you can't snooze too long on maybe Ashworth or someone else because like he could end up somewhere else. But Creighton didn't recruit Ashworth out of high school. Creighton didn't know Stephen Ashworth. You know, just like Creighton didn't necessarily recruit Baylor Shireman, but Eric Henderson. Shireman's coach of South Dakota State, coached with Greg McDermott. So they had a relationship. And, the, and so there was there was some understanding of like, hey, you're getting a great player. You're getting this. You're getting that. He's, he's a good dude. He's a good teammate, good locker room. But it's just, it's hard. The, the portal's a little harder. In some ways, it's easier to hit, but it's also, it's, it's not, it, you can miss too. It's challenging to really make good decisions both ways. It's both for the player on where they're going and for the program and who they're they're taking. But it's just such a vital element to success now. And both Creighton and Nebraska have used it well. Nebraska's used it well the last season and a half. Creighton uses it a little different than Nebraska, but both have have taken an example of it. Speaking of Shireman. As I'm watching Shireman just light up Xavier in crunch time and and thinking about him, I was thinking about Creighton over the last, gosh, like eight seasons, basically since the transfer portal 
stuff really kind of took off. I, w- I was thinking about ranking Creighton's best transfer portal pickups under McDermott since basically 2015, 2016. Because I was I was just thinking about that driving home from the game, and I was trying to figure out if Shireman was the best or or where he where he's at. So I, I listed, I, I sat down, and I I thought, okay, since 2016, that was kind of my my mark. I I arrived at six players because I feel like after after six, the list got a little thin. Top Creighton transfer portal players since 2016. Obviously, if I went all the way back to the beginning of the Greg McDermott era, you'd throw in guys like Gregory Echenique, Grant Gibbs. But to keep it in the true portal era, I'll go since 2016. The top three are obvious. Marcus Foster, Mo Watson, and Baylor Shireman. It's just a matter of what order. And I think you could talk to a lot of different Creighton basketball people in the program, outside the program, fans, Different people, and you, you could get a lot of different answers on how they would rank those players one, two, three. Mo Watson is tough because of his career at Creighton was cut short because of that ACL tear, so he lacks that NCAA tournament run. But the reality is that 2016 team might have been the best Creighton team maybe ever. If he didn't get hurt, that team had a legitimate Final Four chance. And he was the the driving force behind that. Watson at point at the point, Kyrie Thomas at the two, fought Marcus Foster at the three, Cole Huff at the four, Justin Patton at the five. It's a good, good five. But Watson was second team all big east as a junior. He was leading the nation in assists as a senior before he got hurt. Marcus Foster was just as a scorer was just absurd. Back-to-back first-team All-Big East, scored nearly 1,300 points in just two seasons at Creighton. And then there's Shireman, who was just honorable mention All-Big East last year, but is having a big-time final year at Creighton and had a good year last year. But this year, he could end up leading the conference in scoring. And I felt like for a while he was in the Big East Player of the Year conversation. Now, Trey Alexander and Kalkman have really surged lately, which which muddies things up. But still, he's having an amazing season. So if I had to rank him, here we go. This is, this is how I'd go. Top Creighton transfer portal pickups since 2016. Number one, I'd go Marcus Foster. People forget and sleep on this guy. He dude was 20 a game every it was 20 every night. You just pencil it in. He's going to get 20. I think he's one of the best pure scorers in Creighton history. You go Buford, obviously Doug's the goat, but Buford like Marcus Foster's in that. Just need a bucket, go get one. Psh, Marcus Foster's a problem. Kind of felt like the the first legit Big East wing scorer Creighton had. Two-time, first-time All-Big East, like I said. He was a great, great player. Number two, man, I struggle with this. Number two, I put Maurice Watson. The ultimate what-if in Creighton history is what, what could that 2016 team led by Watson have done in the NCAA tournament? Arguably the best passer in Creighton history, albeit just for a season and a half, but the dude was going to lead the country in assists. And I just, 
I think he was super important to Creighton as they were remaking themselves after Doug McDermott graduated and they were trying to find their way in this new Big East world. Maurice Watson gave them some swagger, gave them some confidence. Like he was, not only was he a a great player, like they needed what he brought to the table on a variety of levels. So I, I put Maurice Watson at two, just narrowly beating out at number three being Baylor Shireman. It makes me squirm to, to put him at three. Now, I will say this. it's it, the, We'll see how this season ends up. And, I mean, Shireman can end up being number one because he was just an amazing pickup for Creighton. He has the one thing that the other two ahead of him don't, a deep NCAA tournament run all the way to the Elite Eight. He has fit the program perfectly. Smart, skilled, good shooter, just a perfect fit. I mean, Creighton can't take the guy off the floor right now. Can't take him off the floor. He's played what? I think the stat, he's played all but 12 seconds, I think, of the last three games. I'd have him at three, but I think, like, I don't know. It, it wouldn't shock me at the end of the year we revisit this and he's number one. At number four, this is kind of like a maybe technical. There's a technical. Uh, I'm putting Ryan Hawkins at four. Technically, not a Division One transfer portal guy. He's a Division Two guy. But man, Ryan Hawkins was an absolutely amazing transfer for Creighton. I was thinking about this with so since Greg McDermott arrived in Omaha, his 14th season in in Omaha at Creighton. He's kind of had five, he's he's remade his team at Creighton five times. There have kind of been five versions. Version number one was Doug Gibbs Roggy, Chapman Manning of that group. Like the group. Version number two was that Marcus Foster, Maurice Watson, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Patton. Version number three was Marcus Zagorowski, Tyson Alexander, Mitch Ballock, Christian Bishop, that group. Version number four, that's where it's Ryan Hawkins. But it's it's it was that young freshman core, that that Kaluma, Trey Alexander, Ryan Nemhard, a young Kalkbrenner, and Ryan Hawkins. That was version number four. And now they're kind of on this version number five, this Baylor Shireman, Kalkbrenner, Trey, Stephen Ashworth. That's kind of, there's been five versions. He's re, Greg McDermott's remade the team five times. But version number four, the one that includes Ryan Hawkins, that the freshman class plus Kalkbrenner, they don't have near the season they had. Without Ryan Hawkins. His leadership, his consistency helped those young guys out so much. He's one of the best leaders and teammates Creighton's ever had. He was second team all Big East. Guy dominated Division Two, and walked into the Big East Conference and was a great player right away. What a great, great find. From the Division Two ranks. Fifth. Best transfer. I got Damian Jefferson. DJ, 
Damian Jefferson made one of my favorite plays in Creighton history. Final regular season game of the, the 2020 season. It was, the, it was the final full game Creighton played before COVID and the pandemic shut the tournament down. But it was Creighton-Seton Hall in Omaha. If Creighton wins, they win the Big East regular season title. And early in that game, Damian Jefferson gets a steal and dunks on Mamo Kalashvili. Just hammered one on him. And ignited the capacity crowd, and I just it just kind of set the tone for the game. Damian Jefferson was a damn good player his junior and senior year. 6'5", athletic slashing wing, tough as hell. He obviously won a Big East regular season crown, made it to the Sweet 16, second team all Big East as a senior, had a great career. And then rounding out my list at number six would be Denzel Mahoney. Denzel Mahoney, Big East Sixth Man of the Year as a junior, helped Creighton win the Big East regular season title, was a starter on that Sweet 16 team, and he shouldered like a big load that year having to be the defensive stopper. But he was a, speaking of shoulders, big, huge shoulders, bruising wing. He could post up. He had a nice, soft shooting touch, could shoot the three. He was like a good combination of like size, finesse, power, just a great player. So that's how I would rank him. Top six transfer portal pickups in the Greg McDermott era since 2016 when the portal really kind of like took off. Put Marcus Foster one, Maurice Watson two, Baylor Shireman three, but Shireman can end up being the best of them. Ryan Hawkins four, Damian Jefferson five, Denzel Mahoney six. That's some good players in there. And Baylor Shireman is quickly rising on this list. Final thought. So... There's been there's been some chatter lately about uh, in college basketball rushing the floor, the the fans storming the court after a, a big win. Obviously, Nebraska rushed the floor just a couple of weeks ago after beating number one ranked Purdue. That led to Matt Painter making some comments after the game about the dangers of storming the court. He said, "Quote: Schools need to take steps to keep order, whether it's roping off the court or creating a greater police presence." And then there was the the Caitlin Clark incident over the weekend at Ohio State where a Buckeye fan stormed the floor, knocked her over. Caitlin Clark's the, I mean, she's the most famous college basketball player, men or man or woman, going right now. And all of this has led to a lot of chatter about storming the court and and all that. I, I've I've told this story before. But I have a different perspective on all of this. My sophomore year at Kansas, we were number one in the country. I think we we're 14-0. and 0. Number one in the country. And we got beat at Villanova. And the fans stormed the court. I was on the floor at the end of that game. I was right at center court. And as the horn sounds, boom. Within seconds, I am surrounded by Villanova fans and Villanova students. I can still, isn't it funny how in life there's images that just stick with you? Like I can still close my eyes and I am 
standing at center court at Villanova, and I can see the students running towards me. It was terrifying. I I can remember the smell of alcohol, like, knocking me back. And I can also remember I was immediately on the defensive. Like, I immediately was having to shove Villanova students and fans away from me. I mean, they're in my – I mean, I'm a – I mean, I have a Kansas jersey on. I'm in center court, and I'm surrounded by Villanova students. I'm having to shove these – you know, keep people away from me, shove people off as I'm trying to make my way and get off the floor. And I was having a hard time. I couldn't really move. And like an an angel, like a guardian angel, like Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life, Danny Manning, who was on staff at Kansas, grabs me, and as he's grabbed me, he's he's kind of shoving and moving a bunch of students and fans to get me out of the, the mob. And he and he pulls me out of the mob. And I was then able to get completely off the floor. I don't know what the answer is. Storming the court is fun. And it's a part of the the, the pageantry of of college basketball. It's a part of of the the culture and memories of college hoops. So if you say you should ban it or not allow it, that feels like you're being a fun hater, you know? But if you don't think it's incredibly dangerous, you're crazy because it is. It seems like something really bad is going to happen at some point. Like a like a malice at the palace type thing. All it takes is one idiot to do something stupid to a player on the other team and and it's a big problem. I mean, you remember in 2015 when Kansas State beat Kansas in Manhattan and the students rushed the floor and Bill Self got pinned against the scores table as the fans are rushing the floor. Pinned! He couldn't move for a bit. Bill Self! Again, I don't know what the answer is. But all I will say is to just poo-poo this or cast anyone who speaks out against storming the court as like, oh, man, Debbie Downer, fun hater. To cast anyone who speaks out against it as as that is just short. You're being short-sighted in my opinion. It just feels like a matter of when, not if, something really bad happens during a, a storming of the court. After being caught in the middle of it at Villanova all the way back when I was a sophomore at Kansas. After being caught in the middle of it for just a few seconds, my whole perspective on it changed. That's just my two cents on it. 
a Heard at Sports Network production.